0: Two drifters meet, something needs to be exchanged. I know the code, but I'll give you this one for free. Nothing's free in Waterworld.
1: Welcome to the Mad Max Minute presents Waterworld H2O Minutes at a Time. I'm Rick. And I'm Julia. And today we're talking about Minutes 7 and 8, which begin with the Drifter turning down an offer to trade, and it ends with the Mariner in a race for his salvaged supplies. Our guest this week, because sometimes when you're floating out on the Ocean of Possibility, you run into another Drifter, and that Drifter for us today is none other than friend of the podcast... Self published author, artist, and philanthropist, it's Casadilla.
0: Hey there. Good to be back. <laughs> Welcome.
1: Thank you. It has been quite a while since the last time we talked to you back during our Fury Road season. How have you been faring in this apocalypse that nobody asked for?
2: As well as can be expected, I guess. This is definitely not the apocalypse I wanted. Significantly less leather and spikes than i expected or hoped for but i am appreciating the isolation that is right up my alley <laughs> how are you guys doing
0: the isolation is working real good for me too yeah i'm working from home and i love it
1: mm-hmm. i'm not sure if the fact that we're doing a podcast about water world 25 <laughs> years after its release says anything regarding how we are during the apocalypse I think it's too early to start drawing conclusions. (laughs) (laughs) Speaking of Waterworld, we were chatting before we hit record on the podcast, and you said that you just barely watched this movie for the first time. So I had seen it
2: once, probably pretty close to when it came out. And my brain doesn't hold on to a lot of stuff. It just sort of purges periodically. Ah. So I remembered that Waterworld existed and, some parts of it, my brain thought was cool. And then it was taken over by that whole stunt show. And that was it. And I was like, oh, Kevin Costner, who decided he was the leading man? What?
0: <laughs> I'm really not sure. <laughs> Kevin Costner. <laughs>
2: and, yeah. and so I watched it again last night in preparation. I rented it on YouTube and watched it. And I was like, huh. Okay, I can see why I haven't watched it since it came out. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely parts of it that I thought were good. <laughs> but I don't think it holds up quite as well as the Mad Max movies. Those are the bar, and very few things even come close in my mind.
0: <laughs> I agree with that. <laughs> I think Waterworld is going to only benefit from us picking it apart. Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: It's just like when we were talking about Beyond Thunderdome. So many people pick at and hate on Beyond Thunderdome, but going through it minute at a time, granted, we're not using as fine of a tooth comb in this situation. <laughs> but we were able to dig up so many good things in Thunderdome, and I think that that's going to be the case for this movie. I still have hope, even though hope is a mistake.
0: <laughs> I think that's true for these two minutes. There are lots of little things in these two minutes that if you're just watching the movie, they happen so fast, they don't really mean much going forward, they don't matter to the whole movie, but to these two minutes, they matter a lot. Yeah. I think we're going to find that a lot in today's discussion.
1: I hope so. (laughs) So we're kicking off these minutes with the character of the Drifter. He has just explained in the last episode that the boat that he is on now, he found it legal, he took it Because the person he found on it was already dead, so he's just in the process of trading up, and as he says at the top of these minutes, he's just improving his means, which, at the risk of getting too high-minded with a movie like Waterworld, I don't think you can really fault someone for wanting to improve their means, although I do admit that you can criticize how some people choose to go about doing that. Like, the Drifter, he's confined to the surface. He has to scavenge for what he finds up there. His means of improvement is theft. Not everyone can be like the Mariner and can go down and dredge up your own fortune.
0: And the Mariner agrees with that statement. When the Drifter says just improving my means, the Mariner nods. He's like, okay, I'm on board with that. And they don't see it as thieving. Yeah,
2: I mean, if the guy's dead, then...
0: Yeah, who are you stealing it from? A dead guy? It's not stealing. Not in their world. I think in our world, it would be. You can't just take the car that you find a dead guy in. Our society doesn't work that way, but theirs does. Yeah. So the mariner buys this whole, I found the boat with a dead guy on it. So I took the boat fair and square. Yeah. I feel like
2: he basically immediately distrusted the guy. And when the drifter says that he's just improving his means and explains that he took it from a dead guy, he's like, okay, but he clearly still doesn't really trust him.
0: Yeah, he goes from that into, well, I owe you then. Yeah. He pivots to more of this culture that they have built up around drifters.
1: Mm. He's basically saying to the drifter, okay, game recognizes game. Thank you for giving me, as he said, another hour or so before you commandeered my boat because you thought I was dead. Thank you for your patience. <laughs> And he straight up said, like, Julia, you mentioned, I owe you then. And the drifter, in what we are about to learn is a break of tradition, says no thanks. He says that he's got all the supplies he needed. He just came from an atoll, which in non water world settings, an atoll is a coral ring or set of islands that pops up out of the ocean with a lagoon in the middle, which as we're going to see in the coming weeks ahead... The atoll is pretty much still that, except replace coral and earth with man-made structures.
0: Yeah. I think it's a very decent substitution of a word to describe a settlement. Instead Mm. of saying village or town, it's an atoll, and I think that's fair. I love the reusing, adjusting of vocabulary. I think it's very telling about how people handle things. We've seen a lot from the Mad Max universe, especially from Beyond Thunderdome, the kids. They adjusted the language as they needed to, as they wanted to, sometimes out of their control to mean what they needed it to mean. And Fury Road did it too. Aqua Cola and stuff like that. I find it fascinating.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it also helps to sort of get the point across without having to do a lot of exposition of like, explain what this new word means for the audience, which I kind of get really annoyed with some films when they're like, oh yeah, they just say a word and you're like, What does that mean? You you can't just throw this word out there without any sort of visual or explanation of what it is. And you're supposed to know. But yeah, like having an atoll, if you know what it is, then you kind of get the idea of it already. So it works. I think that is a good use of that word.
1: And it's only eight days east. So it's not like it's going to take us a long time in the movie to be able to see what it is, right?
0: Sure. Okay. He says eight days like eight days is nothing. But I go grocery shopping every week, less than eight days. So if it's been eight days since I went grocery shopping, we would have no food. <laughs> so if it's been eight days since he resupplied, like, I would have no food. So eight days is a lot for me.
2: <laughs> eight days is a lot for me.
0: Like, I would put in an emergency order so I can get dinner. He <laughs> took to place an Instacart order right now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... Their sense of time just seems very different. Mm. Eight days since resupplying is not a lot to them.
1: But I do appreciate the way that they measure distance in days. And we're going to find out in later minutes. I think, oh gosh, like another four weeks from now, the mariner is going to use the term 30 horizons away. They don't have knots. They don't have miles. They don't have kilometers or anything like that. They got horizons and days worth of travel
0: that'll be an interesting measurement to get into when the time comes mm. i'm gonna do some googling on that
1: we've already established that there's a bit of trickiness when it comes to how far our horizon is because you can see different things at different elevations mm-hmm. plus can. when the drifter is like oh it's eight days that way well eight days for his little boat yeah yeah probably less for the Trimoran, because the trimaran is amazing
0: so I guess to be able to communicate in such a way that for the drifter, it's eight days for the mariner to translate that time into his own. He needs to have a decent idea just by sight, how much the little boat can do versus how much his larger boat can do. Mm. So he's got to know that in his head, how to compare the two and how to translate, It's like converting Celsius to Fahrenheit. Oh. <laughs> you can't do that unless you know what Celsius is and you know what Fahrenheit
1: It just goes to show that there is this whole subculture of the Drifter that exists here on Waterworld. Like, the Drifter that we're talking to and the Mariner that is our main character, they are essentially the same. They are two loners out on the waves without a community, and they just float around Atoll to Atoll, fishing and trading and all of that other stuff. And there is this whole subculture that exists on this world, and they have, as Kevin Costner points out a code. Two drifters meet, something needs to be exchanged.
0: I did some very, very light digging on hospitality culture, Mm -hmm. specifically for the Bedouins, because that was kind of my best real world comparison of a group of people who travel from place to place. They follow their herds and then they go trade what they need to. So they're very much like the drifters. And the culture of hospitality is a huge part of their everyday lives. And it's very much two part, like a stranger comes in to your camp, onto your boat in this case, and you offer them hospitality, you offer them safe space. The unspoken return is that they are not going to engage in hostile actions against you. So that's the trade that's happening. I am going to be nice and generous to you and you're not going to attack me. Mm. And as long as everybody's playing by that rule, it's incredibly successful. And I found it very interesting that the Drifter is pushing this off because he has already broken the rule. Mm -hmm. (laughs) He is not willing to engage in hospitality or in trade because he's already broken the hostile action rule. Yeah. (laughs) That's not going to end well for him.
2: I thought that was interesting that the code is brought up it's brought up again later in the movie. And so I'm not going to bring that up, but I thought it was interesting that it was brought up and then they don't go into it any further. And so people who don't know about hospitality culture and things like that, they might be like, is there actual written rules somewhere? Is is there a handbook? What code is this? And I don't know. I just thought it was interesting that they brought that up. And then I have to say, I'm kind of glad that you guys have me on for the minutes where he does the thing. He says the name of the movie. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <Yeah>. <laughs> and it's so early in the movie. And it's like, do they
2: really call it Waterworld?
0: Right. Like, the same so... way that we call our planet earth. Is that what they call it now?
2: I've always hated that. We call our planet earth.
0: I know the name of our planet is so weird. It's the same thing we call dirt.
2: Yeah. And then our sun is called sun. Yeah. It's the sun.
0: It's like. Uh, like on. all the other planets in our solar system get cool names and we get dirt.
2: Yeah. I do like that in Marvel and other places that earth is called Terra.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: I like that. So yeah. I prefer that. <laughs> but i just yeah. like water world. <sighs>
0: <laughs> it feels very roll credits. Yeah. I'm saying the word so that you guys know what this world is called. <sighs> <laughs> yeah, it's gross.
1: Can you imagine if he had come up with some sort of other ridiculous name for this world that they all live in? The Drifter says, "I'm going to give this one for free." And then the Mariner's like, "Oh, nothing's free in Big Drip Aqua Town." <laughs> or something ridiculous <laughs> like that. Like,
2: why do you even need to say nothing's free in blank? It's like, nothing's free. Period. Yeah. Because if the entire world is Waterworld, you don't need to say, in (laughs) Waterworld. Right.
0: (laughs) Like, if a stranger does me a favor and I offer to do a favor back, the stranger doesn't say, nothing's free on Earth. That would be weird. And I would look at them weird. You'd be like, what are you talking about? I wish I hadn't helped you. You're creepy.
1: It would make sense (laughs) if this line was used in the trailer, but I have yet to watch a trailer for this movie where the phrase, nothing's free in Waterworld, is used. As a tagline or something like that,
0: it would actually make a great tagline because that's a lot of the themes of this movie. Mm-hmm. Is yeah. exchanging some good or service for another good or service, and it's a big part of this movie. Mm. Mm-hmm. Except for the free cigarettes <laughs> everywhere.
2: <laughs> that was something, and you guys can tell me if I shouldn't talk about this or not. But <laughs> when I was watching the movie last night, and then when I was talking with my mom about it this morning. She's like, where are they getting all these cigarettes?
0: <laughs> like, What's the deal with the cigarettes? It's and so the paper.
2: Weird. Where are they getting the paper? Because paper so valuable. Mm-hmm. And so mom said, maybe it's not tobacco. Maybe it's seaweed. <laughs> 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 Can you imagine just like burning seaweed and inhaling? <sighs> oh, my gosh. And I'm pretty sure burning seaweed is like greasy. Maybe that would explain why, as my mom said, why are they so grubby? <laughs> i'm sorry kind of jumping the gun on the talking
0: about stuff there (laughs) well by the time it comes to cigarettes i will definitely look up like alternate things you can smoke okay including seaweed okay it also occurs to me and i'll find this out but it also to me can't you make paper out of seaweed i mean it's plant fiber right
2: yeah but
0: can't you like mill it and dry it and
2: yeah i think it would have a different look than regular cigarettes though
0: yeah to get it to look white, you'd have to bleach it, which I can't imagine there's a ton of bleach out there in the world.
1: No. There's sun bleaching.
0: But it wouldn't get it like white, white. Yeah. Get it, like dingy white at best.
1: And then you have to find the filters.
0: Okay. <laughs> we got time. Yeah. All the time in the world.
1: I initially bristle at the idea of someone using the catch all phrase of nothing is free in Water World. But then I realize that. Everything in Waterworld requires some sort of effort. There is nothing that you can think of in Waterworld that is inherently free. Unless you count drowning as a thing.
2: Mm. Oh, and sunburns.
1: Okay, yeah. (laughs) That's a good point. A sunburn and drowning, those two things are free in Waterworld. Everything else you've got to pay for. Yeah.
0: Those don't count. (laughs) Things that put your life and health in jeopardy don't count because in order to not do those things, that's what counts. Sunscreen Mm -hmm. costs having a boat or a life preserver or a flotation device to keep you from drowning. Those things cost something. Negative things don't count.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I would also say that while getting the sunburn would be free, you end up paying for it later.
0: Oh, definitely.
2: (laughs) I like how when he says nothing's free in Waterworld, he is very obviously distrusting the guy. Like all of that distrust from the beginning of this minute, when he found out that the drifter took the boat from a dead guy, it's all back now. And then some, when he says nothing's free in Waterworld, you can see it in his face and the way he says it. I like that he made it so clear that he's like, okay, something's up.
0: I agree. It makes me think that the previous bit about the code and trade was more to draw out the drifter than the mariner was so many water puns. I'm not even trying <laughs> that the, the, the mariner was, you know, testing the waters. <laughs> yeah. Uh, feeling out the drifter, kind of seeing where the drifter was going to go. Yeah. <laughs> where he was going to drift off to. Exactly. And then he brought it back around to the point where he openly doesn't trust him anymore. Nothing's free in Waterworld.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: Yep. So what did you already take from me? Mm -hmm. Later on in this minute, he seems surprised. (sighs) I know. But you were so distrustful. (laughs) Why are you surprised that he actually did take something?
2: Yeah. And also, like, jumping ahead a little bit.
0: Why does he
2: leave it out when he's not on the boat? Like, the thing that was taken, why did he leave it sitting out where it could be taken?
0: That just raises a good point. Like, doesn't he secure his boat in some way? Like, when you park your car and walk away, you lock it, right?
2: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I'm not going to leave a stack of cash sitting in my driver's seat with the window open.
0: Right. Like, if I'm not going to take my purse in somewhere with me, like I just grab my wallet, I tuck my purse under the seat because I don't need something out there to tempt someone to break in.
1: Right. I will give the Mariner one thing. What he did is he went to the middle of nowhere, he parked his car in the middle of an empty park and ride with nobody in sight for miles and miles and miles, and then thought, okay, I'm going to go away from my vehicle. He didn't assume that someone would happen upon it. Like, when you leave your purse in your car, when you go into the store, like, there's other people around. This would be the equivalent of parking your car in the middle of Kansas with nothing but cornfields, and then coming back and realizing, oh, wait, someone has stolen the... Air freshener off my rear view mirror.
2: <laughs> okay. So I have thoughts on this because I was actually talking with my boyfriend last night about his father was giving him a hard time because they'll go out to the farm where there's like 100 acres in the middle of nowhere and he always locks his car. And his father's like, Why are you locking your car? Like, well, if somebody comes along and they see this car, they might think it's abandoned and who knows? Yeah, there's nobody around middle of nowhere. It's not locked, not secured. Go for it. Take yep. whatever's in it.
1: So, they may wait for a half an hour, an hour, and then yep. take the opportunity to improve their means. Yeah, exactly. after that,
0: it's fair game. It's abandoned. So lock it. <laughs> I do have to admit that the only reason that I lock my car every single time is that it auto locks when the key fob walks away from it. <laughs> Otherwise, I don't really lock my car. Like I don't really lock the house.
2: Oh, I lock everything. I've had issues with people walking in and I'm very much... My space is my space. Grr. I always lock everything. It's a good habit to have. Even bathroom doors when I'm in the house by myself because I'm that weird. I don't know.
0: <laughs> hey, whatever safety level you're at, yeah. <laughs> go for it.
1: I'm glad that you brought up the idea of safety level because as the drifter laughs off the idea and says, uh, <laughs> yeah, at The Mariner being all like, oh, nothing's free in Waterworld. The Mariner looks off into the distance and he sees two little black blobbies in the very far distance. And it is revealed that the Drifter and the Mariner are not alone. They are being watched by a couple of dudes on greasy, grimy, blackened with soot jet skis. And these are our Raiders for the movie. These are the aquatic equivalent of the Smegma Crazies and the Gay Boy Berserkers and the Bad Cops from Road Warrior.
0: I think it's a pretty good representation of them. They have taken what's available and made it work. It's a miracle that these jet skis are still working. It's been hundreds of years. How are these things still running? And they're not running real great. They're letting out a lot of black smoke, but the fact that they're running at all is miraculous. So... They are scrappy and pulling it together, making it work. I think it's a decent replacement.
2: I really like their look, but I'm going to bring back what my mom said earlier. Why are they so grubby? You even comment that they're soot covered. They are filthy. And it's like there's water literally everywhere. It is water world, as the Mariner just said. And like, why are they so filthy? And I guess I have to assume it's because everything's covered with the greasy soot from The fuel that they're burning and all that stuff, but it's.
0: I guess common sense tells me that things that we certainly take for granted, like soap, are harder to come by.
2: Yeah, that's true.
0: But at the same time, soap is just chemicals mixed together. Mm -hmm. Like you could do that in a chemistry set. I don't know how. I don't know if it is actually as simple as you could do it in a chemistry set. But there's plenty of like natural things in the world that are. Degreasers that are cleansers mm-hmm. think they're choosing not to use their resources in those directions.
2: Yeah. Yeah. It is pretty simple to make soap. I know how to make soap. Yeah. It is pretty simple. And I mean, salt water is kind of an astringent sort of thing. And they certainly got a lot of that.
1: I have a sneaking suspicion that the way that the smokers build their machines, they don't pay a lot of attention to where the exhaust and smoke is coming out of. Yeah. As we pan across these jet skis, they've got all of these engine components popping out of the front, and of course they're all sitting on the back, and it actually looks like the smoke is coming up past them. So even if they started off clean, they'd probably still get covered in this oil-soaked smoke that would probably stick to them. And I feel like with the way that they use raw crude, rudimentally refined into gasoline, at least I'm assuming they're doing some sort of refining, because otherwise how would it? really work in engines yeah. but that oily smoke sticking to them probably wouldn't wash off with water as easily as some other more dirt based filth mm-hmm. True. <laughs> making a lot of assumptions here about grease right. and stuff
0: yeah grease based is harder
1: it's an interesting aesthetic too the whole idea that every member of your gang is caked with grease and soot as opposed to having a more aesthetic-based unifier like the bad cops in Road Warrior. They wore leather and full helmets, and the gay boy berserkers were all kitted out with their football stuff and their mohawks and their crazy colors and things like that. Here, it's just, hey, we're dressed in pretty much the same thing that everybody else is dressed in. It's just we're dirtier.
2: Yeah. Oh, and they have cigarettes.
1: Right.
0: And they have innumerable cigarettes. And big hair. I don't have really big hair. Yeah, they do.
2: They have voluminous hair. And I'm just thinking, well, okay, if you're greasy,
1: how's your hair so huge?
0: Yeah. Shouldn't it be pretty flat?
1: Yeah. Well, if it's been waving in the breeze and the oil smoke has been getting it, maybe it's making the hair stick back (laughs) like that. Like some sort of greasy pomade type stuff. Uh, Yeah.
2: (laughs) Yeah. wouldn't give it height though (laughs) as someone who's had a mohawk and has tried to fight with their hair multiple times if your hair is weighed down with oil and grease it is is not going to stick up or out it's just gonna (laughs) go
1: you're more likely to look like kevin costner yes who always has buckets of seawater poured over his head before every shot yeah and then they comb it before
2: they show off his scalp it's weird (laughs) One of the things I noticed, like, oh, he he comes up out of the water and then somebody takes like a wide tooth comb and brushes his thinning hair. So it makes it more obviously thin. It's weird. I don't know who chose to do that.
0: <laughs> I just assume that every decision in this movie was made by Kevin Costner himself.
2: That's probably a good assumption to go on. I think you're right.
1: <laughs> Definitely not a bad assumption to make. So the drifter is thoroughly freaked out, and he actually names these guys. He's the one that specifically says smokers, and then notes that there is just enough wind for him to escape. He does not want to hang around and see what these guys are going to do, what kind of trouble they're going to churn up. Now, Cass, I kind of consider you an expert when it comes to post-apocalyptic raiders. (laughs) I know I have, in the past, pushed a lot of things on you to assume that you're an expert on. Okay. <laughs> but when you look at the smokers, because we are being introduced to them here, how would you compare them to some of the other post-apocalyptic raiders that you've taken a look at?
2: Just based on this first scene or the smokers in general?
1: Let's stick with this first scene, and then you can elaborate from there.
2: Okay. I think they have a solid look, but they're filthy, which, <laughs> I, as I've said, I don't really feel like it makes a whole lot of sense in water world. The entire <laughs> world is a giant... Bathtub, why are they filthy? I get the aesthetic, I appreciate the aesthetic, but my logical brain says, How the heck are these jet skis this far out into the middle of nowhere? And so it bothers me about that. But I mean, I feel like they would have a different type of scouting vehicle Mm -hmm. or like some sort of mothership type thing for those jet ski scouters.
1: Can I do that thing I always do and tie it back to Star Wars?
0: Yeah, and I know what reference you're going to make.
1: I feel like the jet skis are very akin to TIE Fighters. Very good at fighting and short-term reconnaissance missions, but you don't necessarily want to send them out on a far distant mission. And I specifically think of the first Star Wars movie, which is to say A New Hope, where Han and the rest come out of hyperspace where Alderaan should be, and there are two TIE Fighters that fly by, And they're like, whoa, hey, TIE Fighters, what are they doing? And they remark saying, oh, it's too far out from any known place that there's no way they would just be out scouting. And it's, yeah, because their main base is the Death Star. And so I feel like there's either a larger boat or the D's itself is close by, which justifies these two smoker vehicles, three smokers in total, being in this area.
2: There would have to be some sort of vehicle nearby. It doesn't make sense for them to be out that far, but I mean, we never see that right?
1: Mhm,
0: going back to my comments earlier about how the mariner would just have to know how to translate eight days from one vehicle to what that would take the other vehicle, I think that they also would have a good idea of how far away some sort of mothership needs to stay to be out of view. Mm-hmm. like okay, I'm gonna plant here. And you guys need to start your scouting five miles out. That way, anybody you catch can't see me, and you can sneak up on them easier. So I kind of think that they just must know what they're doing. I mean, if it's their way of life, and it has been for quite some time, they must.
1: You really hope that your antagonists at least somewhat know what they're doing on a daily basis.
0: Yeah. (laughs)
2: that are just, like, bumbling. Yeah.
0: I can also see the smokers really pushing the capabilities of a jet ski. Mm -hmm. Either they have modified them to have a larger range, to have a larger gas tank, or they just don't really care. There's nobody to enforce safety rules. Yeah. In our world, if a jet ski was seen ridiculously far out from shore, that would be a problem. People would be concerned about this jet ski. But there's nobody to be concerned.
1: And there's nothing to say that the individual smokers who go out on missions like this aren't just nihilistic suicidal types where they really don't care if they come back. They're just, you know, what? I'm just going to go out on a jet ski because it's my turn to patrol and I'm just going to go out there. And if I drown, I drown. Who cares? I'm addicted to cigarettes in a post-apocalypse. My life is a shambles anyway. <laughs>
2: I found it interesting that nobody heard them. Jet skis are loud.
0: Mm -hmm. They are, especially poorly maintained.
2: I know they're far away, but there's nothing else. It's not like you have the sounds of engines on either of these boats. You would hear those things. That sound carries far, especially over water.
0: Oh, that reminds me. I had a little tiny bit of a theory that I don't really think is true, but I kind of just want to put it out there. That the drifter is working with the smokers, that the drifter, as somebody who can get closer to other boats without being so suspicious, is kind of the scout for the scouts.
1: Yeah. I'm going to counter that. Okay. Not so much that the drifter is working with the smokers, because the smokers do not treat the drifter as an ally when they catch up to him, but I think the smokers could be using the drifter as not exactly a lure... A fishing situation, but if he is a small fish going around looking for other boats, they could be following him and say, Oh, well, you know, he's a trader type person. He's going to find larger boats and then we can attack the larger boat and just let this little minnow keep swimming.
0: It's a very interesting strategy. Other idea, maybe, maybe they were
2: actually following him to take his stuff because he just traded and has everything he needs. That's right. When he sees them, he doesn't say, smokers, just enough wind to get away clean, to the Mariner. He just says it to himself. Mm -hmm. So I don't think that he's working with them. I think that it makes more sense for them to be following him either to an ultimate goal or following him and he is the ultimate goal. But they just happen to find, like, oh, the Mariner's there too. Let's get him.
0: I like that idea. I think it might actually be quite clever to hang out not far from an atoll where people would come and trade and would supply up for multiple weeks, maybe even multiple months, Mm -hmm. and then leave. Well, then you follow them quietly, slowly, at a distance, waiting for them to either lead you to bigger fish or to be vulnerable enough that you can take them. Very interesting strategy.
1: And, of course, option three is that The smokers are just out there drifting, and they happened to float close to the mariner and the drifter, because we don't hear them moving around. They just sort of pop into existence out of coincidence. Yeah. So it could be that they were just sitting there the whole time, waiting in a similar way to the drifter for someone to float along. Like maybe they find a current and just ride it?
0: Exactly. They find a current and just ride it, because... They would realize how loud they are. They Mm -hmm. would realize how far away you can hear them coming. So how do we get around that? We drift. Well, drifting doesn't really produce much unless you find a current.
1: Like someone in a crowded elevator who has had too many lentils. They are acutely aware of how loud they can be. (laughs) And it's up to them to find discreet ways to move around that is more quiet and like a flatulent person in an elevator everybody is in danger so the drifter he's got his strategy he's going to put his sails up and get out of the way the mariner looks back at his own mast he's in trawling mode that windmill that's spinning around the mast we talked about it an episode or two ago where that windmill is driving his trawling motors that are pushing him along through the water so he's not going to win any speed competitions He needs to get away. He also needs to get his float bag, which we very specifically see bobbing in the water. And so the drifter is like, buddy, don't try it. It's not worth it. They're too close. They will literally get you if you try and get that bag. And the drifter does something after warning the mariner not to try and go for the bag that I don't understand. The drifter is making a clean getaway. Yep. And for some reason, he reaches down, pulls up all of the limes that he stole from the Mariner and laughs in the Mariner's face as he floats away. And I just don't understand why.
0: <laughs> I'm not sure I do either, other than he's an idiot.
1: <laughs> yeah.
2: <sighs> I think he figures that the Mariner's not long for this world, so, hey, might as well rub it in his face. <sighs>
0: It's so stupid. Yeah. The Mariner, if he survives this encounter with the Smokers, is going to figure out the limes are gone anyways. And Mm -hmm. of course, the Drifter took them. Yeah. That's not going to be any mystery. So you're already going to be a target, but why make it any easier?
2: And then the Mariner does, I think, probably some of my favorite acting in the entire movie.
1: Oh my gosh. Where yes. he
2: runs like full speed across his boat and then squats down and stares at his little lime tree like inches, inches from it. Like,
0: oh. Like, you are those my limes he stole? <laughs> no, okay. From the other lime tree that's just hanging around.
1: Kevin Costner, he's gripping onto the hand railing. He's leaning over trying to get a closer look. And the shot where... It begins with him standing on the bow, and then it does a dramatic zoom and tilt to show the empty lime tree. It is dramatic chipmunk meme from back in 2007, levels of ridiculousness, and I love it for that.
0: I mean, it's certainly dramatic. It's just so unnecessary. And for a long time, in my memory, for a long time, I was very critical of him swinging over... To take a look at the lime tree. Yeah. Until I remembered the entire moment. Because the place he actually needs to get to is right next to the lime tree. (laughs) Okay.
2: It just makes me laugh how, like, overdramatic it is.
0: Yeah.
1: And (gasps) he's crouched over it. And his head is moving around it (laughs) as if he's checking each individual branch. Not by moving his eyes, but by moving his whole body. Yeah. (laughs) I would like to take a dip real quick into the novelization for Waterworld.
0: There was a novelization? Oh, yeah.
1: I got this in the mail between last episode and this episode, so I'm very excited that I can pull from it. If you're wondering, it is not very long. The novelization is only 121 pages. It is faster to read the novelization than it is to watch the theatrical release of this movie. Because they cut a lot of scenes out of the book because this is technically a young adult novel. So they want to take out the part where, for instance, Helen offers her body to the Mariner as payment for safe passage. Or the part of the movie where the Mariner literally sells Helen's body for paper. So with those scenes out, Mm. (laughs) we're left with other things. I like how this scene is handled in the novelization because, as it says on page 7, the mariner was looking at his floating salvage bag. It's not worth it, friend, the drifter called, shaking his head. Two small green objects tumbled out of his shirt. The mariner flashed a look at his lime tree and saw it had been stripped of its fruit. But the drifter's ship was well on its way now. See, you paid me after all, friend, he called. That is so much better. It was an accident.
0: <laughs> it is so much better. That is. I like the line, see, you paid me after all, friend. That's great. <sighs> That makes a lot more sense.
2: Like, he didn't mean to show that he stole the limes. That makes much more sense.
0: Yeah. I I really like that.
1: (laughs) Okay. I do have one question. We know that the Mariner is going to basically disable the Drifter and leave him to the Smokers in order to escape the Smokers. Is the Drifter showing off that he stole the limes as a way to justify the Mariner leaving him behind and punishing him in that way? No. Okay.
0: I think he's doing it to rub it in his face because he's being cocky. (laughs) I think he's had too many successes in a row and he's getting sloppy.
2: (laughs) I almost feel like, okay, within the context of the story, I think that he's disabling the drifter. It's like that whole thing where we're running from a monster. I don't need to run faster than the monster. I just need to run faster than you. Mm -hmm. Or like you knock the person next to you's leg out from under him so that the monster gets them instead. I think that in the story that that could be the explanation. But I think through the context of post-apocalyptic movies and 90s movies specifically, oh yeah, totally is like <laughs> justification for him to disable his ship and leave him there.
1: We can't just have the hero of our movie ruthlessly leave someone to die. There has to be some sort of moral justification for it.
0: Yeah. Right. A life for a lime. <laughs>
2: But I have a problem with the fact that he didn't hang off the side of his boat as he was going over the drifter's boat and grab the limes real quick. He was right there, like <laughs> literally five feet from the freaking limes. And those limes are like his lifeline it's so he doesn't get scurvy. You know, he
0: needs those. <laughs> it would make the whole lime thing, it would wrap up the whole lime storyline in a nice little bow. Yeah. That he gets them back in the end. Right. Which I think the limes needed. Yeah. Because in this two minutes, the limes are kind of a big deal. At least we're making yeah. them a big deal.
2: The very dramatic scene where yeah. he ran over and was like five inches from the freaking lime tree. I mean, they made them a big deal too.
0: Yeah. So <laughs> it needs to be wrapped up in a way that makes sense.
1: Yeah. With the drifter sailing away, the smokers still staying put for now but movement needs to happen so the mariner goes over he throws a couple of levers and cue the Transformers theme song because this boat be transforming
2: I love this
1: (laughs) the mast goes up, the windmill comes down the boom comes out, sails are coming out of everywhere weight bags are coming down and the drifter has no idea what he's watching even the smokers are like, huh will you look at that
0: (laughs) (laughs) This is one of those scenes that if you're just watching the movie as a whole, it goes by so fast mm-hmm. and it's not like we get to see it over and over again to drive it home what's happening. But you know, when you're just watching two minutes, you see it that a lot is happening right here. A lot of very impressive things are happening. Even in our world, Bones don't do this. In production... The boat that they built to transform didn't do it on its own. Each of these little things that we see in clips is happening manually by a person just off camera. So this is a big deal.
2: The scene when I was watching it, I don't know why specifically. It reminded me for some reason of Hook. I don't know exactly why, but like, I guess when in Hook, they go into battle and they like do the things with their armor unrolling and all these different like cause and effect sort of like. Incredible machine, sort of things. I love that, and it it reminded me of Hook. And then it made me sad that this movie isn't as good as. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Okay,
1: I am aware that there are a lot of people who hate the YouTube channel Cinema Sins, but there is one recurring thing that Cinema Sins does, where they say stuff, things, excitement, and that is. How I would describe the transformation scene, because all of these mechanical elements are happening. Stuff is moving. Things are sliding. Ropes are getting pulled through pulleys. There's all of this mechanical nonsense going on, and I love every second of it, because I eat that junk up.
0: Yeah. It is really great. It, It is.
1: And it breaks my heart that this is a unique thing, because one of the smokers, who I've nicknamed the piggyback smoker, because he's riding piggyback on the guy who's actually steering the jet ski, he says the phrase, I've never seen that before. And I'm like, oh, that's a shame. Like, I want there to be more transforming boats out there because that's interesting.
0: (laughs) Ah, if Waterworld has existed for hundreds of years, how have the people not developed this kind of stuff? How have they not transformed their society and how they build things into things that are more effective like this? A boat that can be both a trawler and a speedy sailboat. Why is this unique? It doesn't make any sense.
1: Are we going back to Maslow's hierarchy of needs again for stuff like this? Because the mariner is in a unique situation where he can take care of himself in ways that other people can't. So in theory, he can justify spending more time on boat research and development than other people can.
0: Okay, that is very true. (laughs) And I think we'll see much more evidence of that when we make it to the Atoll, where they are just subsistence living. They fight every single day just to stay alive. Therefore, they don't make it beyond that point into the categories of arts and entertainment and writing and theater, and they barely make it into politics because... They work all day just to have water to drink and food to eat. Hmm. So, okay. Okay.
2: <laughs> I don't know about you guys, but if I've been out in the sun too long, I get really stupid.
0: That's definitely a problem. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Heat stroke and sunstroke, yeah. and that's yeah. real, and you're not at your best.
2: No, I do not do well with the sun at all. And at the end of the day, of even if I just go to the beach, or if I'm out on a boat and the water is like, reflecting the sun back up at me. My brain is fried. It's a fried egg into my skull, and i it's not good. <laughs> I would not be able to come up with much of anything.
0: And along those same lines, we have the Mariner, who doesn't have to worry about those basic needs so much. He's actually created an art piece. He has that wind chime. Mm-hmm. We don't really see stuff like that anywhere else because he has that luxury.
1: Mm-hmm. So his mm-hmm. trimaran... Goes for the float bag. That's the way we're wrapping up these two minutes. And the smokers see that he's going for the bag. And so we have now begun a bit of a race to see, oh, who's going to get to the float bag first? And once they get to the float bag, what's going to happen there? It's rather exciting. We are in an exciting thing right now. There is conflict and there is possibility. And unfortunately, the section cuts off for this episode. But we have a lot to look forward to in the coming weeks.
0: We do. I'm really looking forward to seeing what this trimaran can do. Mm -hmm. I
2: find it interesting that the drifter recognized that the bag was a float bag. If in the previous minute, the mariner said that he was just inside his own boat, Mm -hmm. just in a hole in the boat that had air in it. Well, then where does this float bag come from? And why does he think it's valuable?
0: Mm -hmm.
2: Like what could be in it? without knowing that the Mariner has these abilities, what does the Drifter think could be in the float bag? Maybe that's why he thinks it's not worth it, because as far as he knows, it's just nothing.
1: You know what that tells me is that as you're sailing around Waterworld, there's the possibility of finding neglected float bags. Mm. That this is just a form of salvage that you can come across that are always worth investigating. Because, you don't know, it could be Sitting out there, floating in the way, just a random float bag. Maybe something fell off a boat. Maybe it's left over from some other situation. Maybe it's a form
2: of food preservation, like if you catch a fish, but you don't want to kill it because you already caught a fish, put it in the float bag and drag it behind your
1: boat.
0: Ooh, I like that idea. That's really smart.
1: Then it comes loose in a swell, and then it's just left floating there. Maybe someone's using it like a swamp cooler.
0: Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah.
1: hey, I've got all of this stuff that I want to preserve. I'm going to put it in a bag and let it float here. That'll be cooler than sitting in the sun. Exactly. Yeah. No one's got refrigeration. Yeah. As Kevin Costner said, whenever two drifters meet, something needs to be exchanged. So here at the end of the episode, Cass, is there anything that you would like to tell people to go check out? This is our way of exchanging things. Any sort of recommendations you'd like to make for people to spend their time checking out
2: (laughs) Uh, i'll give you this one for free (laughs) (laughs) i got i got nothing (laughs) i got nothing to plug this time my own projects are either still too early in the works or have since been paused indefinitely so i got nothing specific to plug right now but I I do appreciate the offer. So I'll
1: give you this one for free. I love it. Cass, thank you so much for joining us. It's been a delight having you with us again. No problem. Always a pleasure. As for us, coming up next time, we get to see the Mariner demonstrate the superiority of his trimaran, and we also get to see him teach the Drifter why you should never steal another man's limes. The Mad Max Minute podcast is a fan project by Rick and Julia Ingham.
0: Waterworld was written by Peter Raider and David Chui, directed by Kevin Reynolds, and presented by Universal Pictures.
1: Mad Max Minute is produced and edited by Rick Ingham. Our opening music is Verdi's Dies Irae by Daniel Batista of DanielBatista.com.
0: Our home on the internet is MadMaxMinute.com.
1: You can follow us on Twitter at MadMaxMinute
0: and like us on Facebook by searching Mad Max Minute and join our Facebook listener group Mad Max Minute Beyond Microphone.
1: If you'd like to support the podcast, visit patreon.com slash madmaxmin.
0: Thank you for joining us for Waterworld episode four. See you next time.